Hello and welcome to Endurance Minded. It's the podcast that looks at the psychological and emotional components of endurance sports and how they impact performance. I'm your host, Taylor Thomas, founder and coach at TEC. And on this episode, I speak with Amy Pusey. Uh, Amy's background as a runner includes uh, a 2009 Canadian Mountain Running Championship. She's twice represented Canada uh, at the World Mountain Running Trophy. Uh, She is the CEO of Five Peaks Trail Running. She's also the founder of Access Nutrients, an enzyme supplement designed to give you access to the natural levels of micronutrients found in your food. And on top of all that, she is a mom of six. So uh, Amy and I had no shortage of things to talk about, and I was really excited to, uh, to speak with her about her, um, her diverse background as an athlete as well as a business owner um, and how all those pieces and parts came together to create the experiences that she's had um, and her, uh, her mindset uh, to carry her through all of those different endeavors. So, um, we cover a range of topics, everything from her running career, how she's navigated different aspects of it, um, and how she's stayed focused by, um, making sure that she doesn't take uh, her running or herself too seriously. Um, then we, uh, transition to preventative versus prescriptive, uh, components of healthcare. Uh, Amy started, uh, in the nursing field. She ultimately transitioned to the nutrition side, uh, where she could help individuals be more preventative through, uh, healthy lifestyle choices. Those experiences and that expertise ultimately led to, um, the founding of Access Nutrients. Um, and, uh, we dive into the science of that as well. Um, and, um, use that as a springboard to speak about, um, foodways and Western culture, um, and the decisions we make, the access to food that we have, um, the access that some of us, uh, don't have, um, given, uh, how, how our culture is set up. So really, really dynamic conversation. Very, very, uh, intriguing and interesting. And Amy brings the depth and breadth of knowledge to uh, to our conversation. That was really, really exciting for me to uh, to tap into. So, um, uh, as a special bonus, um, anyone who uh, is listening to the show can get twenty five percent off of Access Nutrients. All you need to do is go to accessnutrients.org, use the code Thomas Endurance for twenty five percent off of your order and give it a try. Um, I've been trying it out myself and it has been really impactful. Uh, I've seen boosts in recovery. Uh, I've seen boosts in energy. Um, and uh, it's only been a couple months, so I'm excited to see where it takes me. Uh, as always, thomasendurancecoaching.com for anything that we talk about on the podcast, to connect with one of our coaching team, to tap into the resources we have uh, on our blog. And um, We got lots of great stuff coming up for 2022, and I can't wait uh, to share it all with you. So thanks so much for listening. Please enjoy my conversation with Amy Pusey. Before we get started with this week's episode, I'm so excited to announce that we're welcoming Inside Tracker as our first official sponsor to the podcast. As I've talked about at length on the show, my passion is helping other individuals discover the tools, resources, and relationships they need to reach their full potential. It's about more than just getting fit or being in shape for one race. It's about realizing the value in the lifetime pursuit of dedicating yourself to become the best version of you that you can be. So when you do what you love, whether it's running, riding your bike, racing, or just enjoying the great outdoors, you want to do it for life. That's where Inside Tracker can help. As a lifelong athlete who's done everything under the sun, I've gotten blood work done many, many times over the years, and it's always provided critical information. 
Even when I was feeling great and training hard, my blood work has uncovered critical deficits such as low vitamin D and elevated iron. So despite how your training is going or how you're feeling, Inside Tracker helps to uncover specific, individual, and actionable insights that allow you to not only perform better, but feel better and be healthier. Inside Tracker was founded in 2009 by leading scientists in aging, genetics, and biometrics. Using their patented algorithm, Inside Tracker analyzes your body's data to provide you with a clear picture of what's going on inside of you and to offer you science-backed recommendations for positive diet and lifestyle changes. Then, Inside Tracker tracks your progress every day, every step of the way, towards reaching your performance goals and living a longer, healthier life. So for a limited time, Endurance Minded listeners can get 25% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just visit info.insidetracker.com slash endurance-minded and enter your name at the bottom of the page to take advantage of your 25% discount. Being an athlete is about more than just completing the right workouts. So visit info.insidetracker.com slash endurance-minded today to start taking a proactive approach to understanding what your body needs to perform better and live longer. Amy, how are you? Welcome to the show. Hi, Taylor. Good. How are you? I'm great. Um, so we got lots to talk about. You you have a, a really diverse and deep background uh, as an athlete, uh, as, uh, as a business owner, um, race director. The list goes on and on and on. You're a mom of six, um, which is which is incredible. I can't I can't even imagine. Um, so I'm excited to uh, explore all those, uh, all those different areas of your life. So maybe a good place to start would be just your experience and background, um, as an athlete. Um, correct me if I'm wrong and I can rattle off a few of your impressive stats. Um, your Canadian, uh, mountain running champion in 2009, you represented Canada at the world mountain running trophy twice. Um, like I said, mama six CEO of five peaks running, uh, also, um, founder, correct me if I'm wrong, of Access Nutrients. Um, so uh, let's start with the running side of things. Um, tell us kind of where, how you found running and, and how you got to, you know, uh, such a, such a high, such a high level. Um, running was, um, it just started with like a, I think I, I started with 1K. <laughs> Um, I had started swimming, um, like a summer swim club. And so I was running in the winter to, to try to keep in shape for summer swim club. My family wasn't particularly, um, like, or exercise wasn't a part of our, our everyday life. We were more like we go skiing on the weekends or hiking. Um, but I think it was something that I, I just started to do to, to try to stay in shape. And I had just found out that I had fitness induced asthma. So I did start really slow and I, I thought that I had hated exercise before that um, because I never had any oxygen in my muscles. But then once I figured out that I actually enjoyed it and I could breathe um, it, uh, it was a lot more fun. So, um, and then I ran, I think I ran in, I ran in high school, some cross country, and then I ran for um, the university of Alberta when I went to school there um, for the pandas for a few years. And then, yeah, I guess I just kind of, kind of kept running. Um, and it's, it's changed throughout my life from 
being more just for sanity to being really competitive to um, fitness and, and all sorts of things in every distance. I think I started running like 10 Ks in high school. So I would, I would try to get into Calgary from our, our small town and do some of the 10 K road races there. Um, and I had a, uh, phys ed teacher that took me running once in a while. She was kind of my like inspiration or hero, <laughs> um, huh. that I wanted to try to, emulate. so yeah. How did you, um, uh, how'd you oscillate between, you said you were kind of like competitive and, and not as competitive and how did that, what kind of spurred that, that movement between the two? Cause that feels like that can be a hard things for a- athletes oftentimes to, you know, it's like, you're either all in or you so often it's like boom and bust, right? You're, you're kind of all in. If you're not yeah. hyper competitive then you f- fall away from the sport, but you've been connected to it for a long time. How did you like move between those different mindsets? Um, I think I tried to quit a few times. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, yeah. <laughs> and maybe after a bad race or like, you know, thinking that I was terrible at it and what was I doing and I should try another sport. Um, but it, I guess it's just kind of always followed me and it's just an easy, it's just an easy thing to do. Right. So I've done it right. traveling through like all over the world. I've done it. it I mean, it, when I went to U of A, I tried out for the team, got on. And so that was a more competitive phase of my life. And then after that, um, I had babies fairly soon after school. I had my twins. Um, and so then it was more actually, no, after them, I, I think I had this desire to like prove myself and try to get back into running probably too quickly, but needing something outside of like taking care of babies all day. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that was part of my life then. And maybe just kind of one race a year and, and meeting a friend to run at five thirty in the morning before your day kind of gets started. Um, so maybe just as like a, a bit of a distraction at times, but then I think in my life when things get, it's never my priority. It's my family is always first and then probably work next. And so if it's not, if it's too much or if I'm overwhelmed and it's just like a to-do item, then I don't, it's not part of my life. Or I just, I just go for runs that are like, I call them giver workouts. So if you go for a run and it's super, super easy, it just gives you energy Mm. versus like a track workout that destroys you for the rest of the day. And you can't even play with your kids at the park because you're so sore. right? Right. So there are times in my life where that's okay. And I can just lay on the floor and play Lego with them. Um, but there are also times where I just don't want that to be kind of my focus. Um, so I guess it's just kind of always been there as a constant. Um, but, but it's, it's just, yeah, there's been times where I've like been really excited to race and other times where I just can't handle that pressure. Like there's just too much going on. And so if anything, running is just like a sanity thing but there's there's no way that I can add in like actually training for something while also juggling a million other balls so right if that makes sense yeah I mean that feels like a really healthy uh uh it feels like a really healthy place to be you know and I I guess it when you say it like I love that idea of like the giver workouts but um I don't know you know and I'm you know I know you've worked with athletes and and over the years. And you know, that, I don't know, it seems that feels like a much harder thing to, to grasp for so many folks is this, like the fact that you can stay connected to your sport, 
and it doesn't have to be all encompassing. You know, I, I, I mean, I, that, that seems to me like the way that we should try to approach it. But unfortunately, you know, I know I've talked to so many athletes over the years and I'm like, well, okay, if I can't, like if I can't go out there and win races or operate at this level that I'm, you know, used to, or, 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 or at a level that I, you know, was once at, then I'm just not going to do it. Right. It's like, it, it seems like, mm-hmm. is that been your, I mean, have you had the experience like it, it just being around athletes? I mean, obviously it feels like you've found maybe more of a, you know, a balance that allows you to be like longevity focused and keep that as part of your life. But, um, I don't know. What's your, is, is that, is that been an experience for you where it's like you've talked to other individuals or like you yourself have had a hard time, um, coming in and out of that. Cause it, I don't, it doesn't seem quite as straightforward when I talk to athletes, right. It seems like a really hard thing to help people nail down. It's just like the fact that it can add value to your life, even if it's, even if you're not like optimally fit or something like that. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. It, I think maybe, um, maybe I haven't surrounded myself with people who were really competitive in running. So that maybe that's a good thing or a bad thing. Like maybe I never took it seriously enough to actually say like, like I'd give up on a workout too easily because my parents were more weekend warriors, right? Like Mm. exercise is like a once a week thing for them versus like twice a day or whatever it is you need to be at that level. Um, So it never felt weird to like not do a workout or, the people that I grew up with um, that were competitive in Canmore were like the cross country skiers. And so I know a few of them that, you know, training was like their entire day. They were there to train. They, that was the national team um, and they trained together. And then when, when they retired or got injured, there was a huge, a, a lot of them as is common, like depression period through not having that as a core part of your life. Hmm. Um, and yeah, so I, I don't know. Um, I think maybe just cause I wasn't raised with it being ever like pushed on me or even really, I don't know if my parents did it intentionally, but right. <laughs> like I hitchhiked to races often. Cause it's not like they were like, we're going to support you and we're going to be there cheering. And like, it was like, you want to go, you can pay your own entry fee and find your own way there. <laughs> cool that you're into it but we don't really care like right. i don't even know if they knew we did a lot of races and we're we're close like we're we're close but they don't um for example if i'm like hey could you take care of the kids so i can go for a run because it's minus 30 um they it's more of like and i love my parents but it's more like an annoyance than a like oh you're training for a marathon of course we'll support you we'd love to see your kids <laughs> <laughs> and i know they'll never listen to this podcast because right. i don't even know if they know podcasts right now so. <laughs> yeah we're, this is a safe space i guess since maybe they won't uh, they won't stumble upon this podcast yeah i mean do you yeah. i mean that's really interesting i never thought about like I, I as we do like our parents you know have some maybe just like by default they uh or, or accidentally they instilled some like very healthy balance you know because it, it that is such yeah. a thing i and I'm, i i you know it i i just see it you know i guess out in the world like this, um, you know, the parents are very, um, invested in their kids, like early, you know, childhood, like sports careers or whatever, you know, whatever the word for that would be. Um, 
Yeah. I don't know. Do you like, are you guys um, with your kids? Is it like, do you find yourself taking a similar approach or are you trying to like split the difference or? Um, um, so with the, with my twin girls, they, they refuse to run. Like they're, they're now applying to universities and I've told them for the past few years, like you guys are good runners. You could run and then you could probably get scholarships and they just like flat out refuse. And I've said <laughs> like pick any sport you could pick a sport and if you're good at it, then, you know, you could get a scholarship somewhere. Um, they used to run and, and they were pretty good at it. Um, but they, I think it's because like, because it's my thing or because it's our thing. They're, they're trying to be independent adults. Right. So they may come to it at some point in their life. I have a feeling they will. Um, but it'll be, you know, mid twenties or something when they're like, Oh, actually I get why mom ran now. <laughs> Right. Um, but at the moment they're completely refusing. So they have come to other things on their own. My daughter's doing nutritional sciences now, um, which oh, yeah. was completely her own thing. Like I, I, I didn't even know until a few months ago and she's like, this is what I'm going to go into. I was like, that's great. Like, but it wasn't because I pushed her that way, you know? So I think if they're going to be really independent adults and kind of go through that phase of um, of becoming independent from their parents, they have to come to it on their own. So yeah. running was for me, it wasn't something our family did. I think my mom's brother used to run, but it just wasn't, it wasn't anything that I, I had to learn how to make it a part of my life. And I still, um, probably struggle with like allowing myself that time and not just letting it be like the eighth priority on the list, you know? Right. Yeah. That's, <clears throat> I wonder why it is you know, that, that, um, cause I think we all, well, I don't, you know, I, I think as a population, you know, we, there is something about that, that time for ourselves, which is so important because it, you know, it, for me, like it helps center the rest of my life. You know, if I'm going to be productive at work, like I, I, the exercise piece has to remain consistent and constant but it's always the thing mm -hmm. that gets kicked out, right? Like, you know, it's the thing that we yeah. like value most, but it's the first thing, like you said, that's like the bottom of your priority list. Um, yeah. How do you, I mean, you know, as someone who is a high achiever in other areas of your life, like how, how do you, how do you manage that? Or how do you make it, how do you make the time? Cause it, it, it is a, you know, it's an inherently selfish thing. And I think, you know, we almost like have to admit that it's like, okay, if I'm going to go for a run or a bike ride or a ski or whatever, you know, and maybe even have your friends or your family around you, but, but you have to make that time. I mean, you know, you have to, you have to sacrifice something else in theory. Um, yeah. So, so yeah. How do you like, how do you, what's your, what's your process for trying to keep that closer to the top of the list? If it's something that you uh, you know, obviously have valued for most of your life. Um, so right now it's a little easier because, um, so while, while we have six kids, uh, two of them are in Flagstaff, two of them are in Canmore and we just moved to Invermere in April. And so we just have the two little ones here right now. And they're both in, um, our daughter is in kindergarten and then Noah's in daycare. So we have that middle chunk of the day it's still short because Ashley has finished school at three. Um, so it's, it's that middle portion of the day, but um, number one, I'm, I'm good with going midday and then also like 
working after they go to bed. I don't mind doing that. And I'd rather run in the middle of the day during like work hours or extended lunch than, than try to fit it in at like 5am on a treadmill. I I'm okay to get up and work in the morning and then fit it in. Um, and then weekends, Jake and I just take turns. We, we have some pretty good friends that we both like I run with, um, a few ladies and then he goes with the guys and we just take turns with the kids and then do something as a family in the afternoon. Um, but yeah, I think, um, I think you have to just be willing to, to juggle. And, and I'm like, I don't go to an office or work for somebody else. So I have that, that flexibility, um, to be able to decide, but I do need to schedule it. And, and, and there are a lot of times, like if we're putting on an event, um, when we were putting on like our week long event in Revelstoke, we just know we're not going to run that week. And so I never actually schedule a race for like the fall because the summers are so busy with usually other than this summer, we usually have all six kids there and, and it's just like juggling all that. But I, I'm also okay to, I like pushing the kids on my runs, which is not good for training, but it's a really good workout when you're pushing two kids. And I've always done that. Um, Mm -hmm. And I actually prefer that even if it takes me like three hours to get in 10 K because we've stopped at every park. (laughs) I don't, I don't actually mind that because then my kids are with me and I don't feel guilty being out doing my own thing. Right. Um, And I shouldn't, I shouldn't have that guilt, but I don't mind pushing them either. So I, if I'm not training and I don't have to go as like a specific pace, it's just a sanity thing. Then I actually really like taking them out with me and being outside together if they'll sit still sometimes they won't but if we stop often enough um they'll usually sit in the chariot so yeah it's like i mean you really have to set yourself up for success you know i think there's this i see so many athletes get frustrated you know they can't like nail down the consistency that they want or or maybe reach their goals by way of that consistency and i mean you touched on a lot of good points this idea that like you know you have to schedule it Right. You know, you have to, you can't just like wish it into existence and be like, Oh, I hope I get my run in. Like, you know, it's like concerted effort. Um, and then like giving yourself like the opportunity or I guess like the grace, like you're saying to, to like, to know that that thing could look and feel different, but the sum total of the effort is the same, right? Like if you take your kids that might, might not be you like busting out a fart lick run, you know, that maybe would look good on a training schedule, but like you got out and, and you can combine those things to, to satisfy like the end requirement, <laughs> you know, if it's just like, if the goal is just to get out or like, can, can keep that as a, as a touch point. Um, do you, do you actually like schedule run? Like, is it like a, on your calendar type thing? Or is it like you, you and Jake, like talking about it? Or I'm always interested in people's approach to that, you know, cause I've, I just, I just feel like that's such a big part of it, right? Is like that focused effort to, to try to get it, get it in. Um, I, I don't, but I probably should, but I kind of like wait to see what the weather's going to do. I have a sense each day that I try to go, you know, between like 10 and two is kind of my window somewhere in there, whatever the workout's going to be. Cause it's, it's warm or, I mean, it was, 40 degrees Celsius here this summer. So the only option was to go really, really early. So it, it just right. kind of depends on the weather, but right now it's not even getting light until like eight 30 and it's dark again by four 30. So if I'm going to get any sunshine, it's going to be kind of the middle of the day. Right. Um, so I know I've got that window. So yeah, I'd probably say 
the window is there, um, but it's not, it's not always scheduled. And weekends we would schedule it more because it'll be like, okay, like do the guys run first? Do the, do the, the women run first? This, you know, and we usually switch on both days and just whoever wants to get up earlier um, goes at that time. Yeah. So more yeah, scheduling I'm, on the weekends. Yeah. I'm in the same boat. I'm, I, I'm scheduling like exclusively for sunshine these days, right? Where like, in, you know, similar yeah. climates where it's like dark for most of the day. And, uh, yeah. And, and yeah, I'm like, I have to, if I want to see the sunshine, like I have to get out and I try to like time it with the weather and I'm like build my schedule yeah. around like, okay, like, like one o'clock would be like, you know, the warmest and like right before it starts to get dark again. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I made the mistake yesterday of like forgetting what time of year it was. And it was like four o'clock. And I went out for my workout and it, it got dark, like pretty, pretty much immediately, you know, like the sunset behind the mountains, it got way colder and, uh, it was way less enjoyable. I miss my, I miss my window for sure. Um, yeah. So you, yeah. you ha- go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. No, go ahead. Um, I was going to say, so you, you know, you have this, obviously this deep background in, uh, in running, you know, in school. Um, but you also, did you go to, you have a background in nursing as well. Does, is that what you went to college for? Yeah. Yeah. I started in nursing, um, and then I switched into nutrition. So I got, I really liked obstetrics. Um, but I, once I got into like the medicine rotation, um, I was working at a health food store while I was going to university and I think just seeing some of the diseases and some of the, um, the way that disease was approached was really getting to me because it felt like there were so many other good solutions to, to things. And what I was learning about nutrition, just in my own reading, I wanted to be on the preventative side of health rather than trying to chase getting better. Um, and I do think there's a place for medicine, but there are a lot of uh, pathologies that that you can really improve through better nutrition. So once I started working in nutrition and and with specific diseases with people, it was really cool to see the amount of like relief they could get just from really simple diet changes um, and and giving people that like control back over their lives and how they felt and because food is something you eat, you know, probably three to five times a day, it's, it just gives people that, that feeling of control over their life um, and over whatever is going on. So, right. Yeah. I, I, I really enjoyed nursing and it was, I had a plan to kind of go and travel with it, but then I found I wanted to be, yeah, more on that preventative side. Hmm. I've heard that. I've heard that reiterated, uh, a good number of times with uh, nurses or healthcare professionals that I've talked to is like that, you know, it's almost like this like preventative versus prescriptive, you know, maybe the, like the, the nursing mm-hmm. side or the, you know, doctor kind of classic, like hospital setting, you know, you're, you're like, correct me if I'm wrong. You would know more about this than I do, but like, you know, you're, you're trying to prescribe, you're like chasing down what, you know, what the diagnosis is so that you can prescribe like a medicine. And, and then Mm -hmm. on the nutrition side, it's, it's more of this, like, like you said, like preventative, like, you know, lifestyle changes. And I, I don't know, I've, I've I've seen that, or again, I've heard that, uh, that same sentiment, um, that, that this idea that, 
you know, if you could, if you can make preventative choices or if you can make lifestyle choices versus like prescribing a drug that feels like a much more like sustainable way or much more, I guess, like holistic mm-hmm. way to, to go about things. Is that, I mean, that sounds like kind of where you landed. Like, it, you know, you, you obviously said you enjoyed it, but it felt like there was maybe a little bit more, um, a little bit more like holistic way to go about things. Is that what turned you to, to nutrition? Yeah, I think I remember one specific instance where we had a patient that had just died of, um, of C. diff, which is like a really awful bacteria. Um, and then another lady had Crohn's disease. Um, and I think she was like 90 pounds and just, and they kept giving her Ensure, which is like milk and vitamins and oil and sugar. Right. And what I was learning about what dairy products can do in the body, this was, I guess, 20 years ago. Um, and then like some of the oils and sugars, I was like, is there not, I mean, can we try like juices or vegetable juices or whole foods or live foods that actually have like live enzymes in them, you know, like something that hasn't, it's not just this processed crap that is clearly not working because she still has diarrhea all day. Um, and when I talked to my, my prof about it, she was like, this is the protocol. Don't challenge it. I don't want to hear this. And I get it. Like I was a student. So who was I to like speak up about that? Um, but I, that was the day that I, I actually walked downstairs that day and called my dad and I said, I'm quitting. And he was like, no, you're not. You get back in there. <laughs> um, and I quit at the end of that year and switched into nutrition. Cause I, I just couldn't, I just didn't believe in that disease model anymore. And like the number of medications people were on. Um, I mean, this was medicine, but like they were on, you know, 12 or 15 different prescription drugs and half of them were to deal with side effects from some of the drugs they were taking. And right. not only that, but like they didn't even know what drugs they were on, you know, mm-hmm. it just, it just felt like such a backwards model to me. And, and I dealt with it later with um, my stepmom had cancer and, and passed away in 2015. But just as an example, like she, she was very, 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 very constipated at one point and they were trying everything to get her to, you know, like for things to move um, and nothing was working and they kept making her eat all this food. And she was like, you know, tiny, but like she looked pregnant. She was so full. Wow. And, and I just said like, can we just take the pressure off her digestive system and give her just like raw, fresh squeezed vegetable juices for a while and see if, by taking the pressure off her system, then things can start to move because you're not just like digesting all the time. Mm-hmm. And, and she did that for a few days and got things moving again. Um, and uh, like, that's just one example. And it's, I think, I think people don't understand how much, um, how much energy goes into digestion. Um, mm-hmm. So that's another piece that I've learned a lot about nutrition is like, of our energy goes into digesting food. And so if you're constantly digesting, your body isn't doing its other work and house cleaning. And that's where all of this like intermittent fasting is coming from now too. Um, It's just taking that pressure off your digestive system so that all your other systems can actually do what they were supposed to do too, or easy to digest foods or um, anyway, sorry. I I know you were asking about medicine. So yeah, I I just couldn't do it anymore in the in that traditional like um 
that role of like all the medications all the time and, and doctors are busy and nurses are busy and, and patients don't speak up because they don't want to challenge the doctors. And so the doctors don't actually know what that person is feeling because they are too afraid to say, you know, this is actually how I feel. And, and a lot of people aren't really like checked in with their bodies either. Right. Like we often don't listen to what our bodies are telling us because we're programmed not to, we're programmed to do what we're told. And like, well, it says I'm supposed to drink orange juice. So I drink four liters a day. (laughs) So that's why your blood sugar has gone out of control and you've gained 10 pounds. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, there's sense. I I think. All right. I know. I mean, just it, it, (sighs) there, it brings so many things to mind. One, I think there's, there's this very, um, I guess I'd be interested to get your like take on this. You know, we're in this, what I would call like this very kind of, uh, like, like hacky culture, right? Like everybody's trying to like hack their way into some sort of better health, right? Like, and it's, it oftentimes is not through just listening to your body, right. Or tapping into more like, I don't know, like real solutions, right? It's like, okay, take a, you know, whether it's the medicine side of things or whether it's like some sort of supplement or diet or something, you know, I don't know. There's, it seems like the, the angle is always like some sort of quicker fix versus like science, right? <laughs> or just like listening yeah. to, I don't know. It feels like the answer always for like better health is is relatively straightforward. And then we're trying to make it much more complex by like, uh, I use quotes again, you know, like hacking our way into some sort of solution through how we sleep or how we manage food or how we manage our meal timing or I don't know, like, do you, I mean, is, and then I guess, you know, you, you talked about like IF, like what, what's your, is that, that, you know, that's something that people get really like really into, you know, and may I've seen it be detrimental. And of course it can be, it can be productive balance also seems to be lost with like this kind of mentality of like hacking your way into better health. Right. It's like, of course, like maybe it works, but of course in moderation and of course with the right balance and of course, right. But it's like, all I do is intermittent fast. Right. And then you don't think about how to like manage that. Or all I do is like you said, like drink a bunch of orange juice or whatever the, you know, next like flash in the pan thing is. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Like what's your experience with just, I guess, kind of finding some sort of, you know, sustainable solution to, to health, you know, as I, I assume as a nutritionist, you're, you're in the same, a similar lane of like trying to find what works for your body and and making sure that like you're tapped into, to what those signs are versus like what you read in the latest, you know, men's health or <laughs> whatever, uh, you know, article or whatever. I don't know what's, 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 yeah. What's your take on that or in your experience with kind of that culture? I think, I feel like we're in, Um, I mean, in terms of some of the clients that I've had, like I said, I've seen people, the orange juice situation or like, um, a really funny one was a couple that came to me and I see them separately, but she says like, my husband has no sex drive anymore because these things come up in nutrition. And when I talk to him, he's like, well, my wife's making me drink soy milk for health or whatever. Soy is like really high in estrogen. So he was drinking, I don't know how much, like all of a sudden soy was like 50% of his diet. So his estrogen levels were through the roof. And of course he has no sex drive. 
So we huh. took that out. Everything got back to normal. Um, but it's just these overdoing it things like, oh, soy's good for us. So we should make it 90% of our diet. Like right. it's, it doesn't work like that. And I, I think I tend to approach it more from like um, anthropology. Like there's some wisdom and stuff that's been done for thousands and thousands of years nutritional anthropology course that I took was probably one of the most interesting courses I've ever taken. Um, and, and knowing things that like there are communities, um, where there are no roads into the community. So there's no white sugar, there's no white flour and they have like perfect teeth and clear eyes and no pain in childbirth. And, and they eat like three different foods. It's like goat milk and vegetables and like a grain that they ferment and and eat and they might have a little bit of meat in their diet once in a while but you don't need like eight thousand different foods in your diet either right eating locally is great eating as much i think eating is as much live food as possible so that hasn't been cooked or processed so that it's just completely dead um is really important but yeah like a common sense about stuff um but but that's been because i've made mistakes like i used to work at a gym in high school and thought that I should just be eating like soy protein bars all day. And that if I was following the 40, 30, 30 rule that, right. that I was probably like, you know, going to look like this shredded bodybuilder or whatever. Right. And then having issues around that. Right. So mm-hmm. like, and, and to be fair, there aren't like, I think that, that meat if grown in a sustainable way um, or like, or hunted and in small amounts, um, can be really good for us. But the way that meat is being raised now and the hormones and the antibiotics and the way the animals are treated is a complete disaster. So I would like to say like, you know, there could be balance there, but that's not where our food systems are. And kids don't necessarily want to eat vegetables these days because they're grown in soils that are so depleted that the vegetables have no taste. So -hmm. of course they're going to go for foods that are high um, kids, we all associate high nutrient value with high flavor. So if something's salty or sugary, our brain just goes, oh, that must have a lot of nutritional value. So kids get into these, or we all get into these things where we're eating high fat, high salt, high sugar foods that have absolutely no nutritional value. Um, but we don't want to eat a tomato because it tastes like cardboard because it was grown in soil that's completely depleted. Whereas when you see a kid go like pull something out of the garden, it actually tastes like food, you know? Right. <clears throat> and when I've traveled to Europe, it's same thing. Food, tomatoes taste like tomatoes there and they're delicious with like a little bit of oil and salt on them. Mm-hmm. Um, so the food systems are a mess right now too. And I'm not really sure how to address that systemically. Um, but right. it's, um, yeah. So I, I think I would probably tend to lean more on like what has always been done and then also looking at just like the natural world and and what's done there and and trying to keep things as close to like nature as possible. So not a lot of not a lot of processed foods and um and fresh and and alive if you can. Yeah. Yeah, we we not live animals. But... <laughs> <laughs> right. Um fresh. Yeah. I I mean, we, we have this, you know, it seems like there's this tent, like we, we want to like chase down this very um, like black and white, you know, or like polarized approach to nutrition and, you know, what you're saying. And I, 
I've, I agree, you know, I'm not a nutritionist, but, you know, trying to make healthy decisions for, for myself and my family and, you know, in the world, it, it feels like you have to approach these things with some nuance, right? Like, it's not like all, all of X is bad or all of Y is good or, you know, I mean, there, it depends on the, where you're from and where you live and the food systems and how, you know, and that, that feels, that's, that's always one of the like frustrating things to to me. Like, you know, if I'm talking to an athlete, so often people come to, to conversations with these um, predispositions, you know, and these, these very kind of, you know, vibrant viewpoints on certain things, you know, and, and there's not a lot of space for, nuance and it feels like you really can't have th- this you know a conversation around what's best for our bodies what's best for the world um without having some some you know without it being a dynamic conversation or having some some mm-hmm. nuance so i love that yeah like you know fig- figuring out where it comes from we our friends uh they have a, a little toddler and we, you know this summer that was like her favorite thing to do is like run out into the garden and like grab tomatoes. Right. Like she, and she thought mm-hmm. it was, you know, she like thought she was like getting away with something almost. Cause they, they tasted really good. Right. They were like little uh, cherry tomatoes and she like pick them off the vine and she would just eat them. Like, yeah. like she would just like, you know, basically like kind of black out. Right. And eat like as many as she could. And that we never, we actually never like got any of them. Like she just ate them all essentially. Um, yeah. But it was fine. It was, too, it reminded me of that, like to your point, like she was, like, and they were great. Right. But they were, you know, they were fresh and they were in the yard, and, yeah. you know, and, um, that's an experience too. Like was, more, more, more people don't have, I guess. Right. Like the garden is a, yeah. you know, or, or access to that experience where like you can actually get it within some short period of time from the dirt to your plate, you know, as we get, you know, yeah. that's a food system thing again, but anyway, what were you going to say? Um, I have to remember to talk about vertical farms, but um, there was a nonprofit that we used to work with and, uh, or when I worked in nonprofit a long time ago um, and they had, I think it was Nepal and they had set up these little greenhouses like way up in the mountains um, because there was a lot of stunting and it was partly because their diet was very heavily just grain focused. Um, And so they set up these greenhouses to grow like collards and spinach and that kind of thing. And they, they found that, um, that the kids were breaking in in the middle of the night to steal the vegetables <laughs> to eat them. Wow. So their bodies for whatever reason were craving it so badly that they, they would break in. And it's not cause they didn't have other food. It's cause they're, they wanted that like just good food all the time. And my son's the same way. He won't eat, um, he won't eat any vegetable but we have this like kale forest in our yard because I didn't realize how well things grew in Invermere. And by the time we got here, I could only plant kale. Anyways, he'll go out there and like pick the kale and just eat it for whatever reason. Like raw (laughs) off the, off the plant. Yeah. Just pick leaves and eat them. (laughs) Like just when we're just playing up there. That's Um, great. And I was going to say too, like uh, there are great ideas um, for people living in cities, like vertical farms um, where, you know, it's a, like an aquaponics structure where there's, if you're living in a city and you can't get around that, um, there are cool ideas about like solar panels and gardens on top. And then I think it's like the aquaponics underneath. So the fish poop feeds the 
garden, you can eat the fish. Then there's like an office or living space and then more living space or office than a daycare on the ground floor. So you never have to travel to drive your kids to daycare or to go to the grocery store and get your food or using rooftop gardens for anyone that has sun or grocery stores who have these massive flat roofs that could have greenhouses on top of the grocery store so that produce isn't shipped thousands of miles. It's actually just like harvested on the roof and brought into the grocery store. Right. Like there's some really cool ideas that I think are starting to be implemented, but there, there are so many great solutions out there that I don't think it's just like, nope, we just have to fertilize everything and have, you know, three different varieties of rice in the world and then everything's going to be great. Yeah. Um, there, there are some great, great thinkers out there that have come up with really brilliant solutions. Yeah. I was, I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, a, I guess, like addicted to food shows. Like I, I watch like all the, you know, cooking shows, like not like, um, I mean, not to knock it, but you know, or like, not like the great British baking show or something, but like, you know, ones about like agriculture and stuff like that. And, and yeah, like there, I was just watching, I forget, but like these, I mean, there's really dynamic solutions out there, like to the vertical farm, you know, and these like big taking some of these old like industrial facilities and turning them into these like massive, like vertical, like indoor vertical farms with like hydroponics mm-hmm. and, and then uh, I was just listening to like a radio program the other day and this, there's a researcher that just um, her and her team like are working on reintroducing um, specific rice grains that have been extinct, but they grow like their goal is to maximize like the, the like specific areas. So like, you know, if, uh, if, and specifically to try to, adapt to climate change. So like certain rice grains don't do well if they're underwater for X amount of days, right? If it's more than like five days, they, but then they found like all these different grains that can be underwater for up to like a month. Well, so as like climate change and rainfall increases and these things are, so, I mean, it's really, it was fascinating. Like, so the yield now is like 75% higher in these areas in, you know, Mm -hmm. South Asia where, the climate has made it where there's more rainfall. So that, so the crop yield was dramatically decreased, which in fact impacted the food ways and so on. Um, and they just planted this, like they gave them seeds and now it's like totally changed. And I forget the specific area, but you know, it's like you said, there's some really great thinkers. They were just like, Oh, instead of just being like mad about it or being like, well, it's unfortunate. We lost that entire like region because they get more rain than they used to just like, came up with a, you know, reintroduced this native seed or this historical seed. And now it's like changed this, you know, massive region where they're like, Oh, done. Like <laughs> problem solved. I mean, at least for now, um, or, or, you know, maybe problem like abated, but, um, yeah, that's, I, I, I think that's, I love that idea of just like thinking dynamically about the food system too, right? Like there's lots of great solutions if we just, maybe understand that like we can't just keep doing it like we've always done it but but we can yeah. adapt and still eat well um there's sorry just really quick there, yeah. um there's food redistribution uh programs too or food rescue programs like I, I think i first saw it in boulder boulder food rescue where it's all like 
bike and volunteer um, powered. And they, they go to restaurants or to grocery stores and they save food that would otherwise be thrown out because it's like past due or whatever. And it's just going to be thrown into the garbage. Um, and there's nothing wrong with it. And they save it and they take it to like a homeless shelter or they deliver it to people who need it. Um, really good stuff like that. Cause a lot of our food actually just goes to waste. Like it just gets thrown out and that's completely unnecessary and ridiculous. Um, but then also like even addressing food deserts in, in big cities where people like they could be growing either a community garden where kids actually get super into it and love being a part of it. And they're like those kids in Nepal that like want to eat the vegetables because they've put their time into it and they've seen it grow. Um, but, but you could give people the option of growing food on, on their roofs. Like I remember flying in over LA and seeing all these flat roofs and, and you know that there's like a McDonald's and like a gas station store and it's got chips and whatever, just like empty food in it. But there's, there isn't a grocery store for however many miles. Right. Um, and, and the cost of produce is prohibitive. Like it's, if it's cheaper to buy pop, obviously you're going to buy pop than a $4 tomato, right? Yeah. And, and I think the government needs to work on that too. Like, I think that should be incentivized to, to be able to buy the healthy food versus like chips should be $10 and tomatoes should be 25 cents. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's madness that we have these like specialty stores for vegetables, right? Like you have the, you know, you know, a lot of communities have them or areas, right. Where you have like your natural markets and your and like, it, it really should be like the opposite, right. It should be like, you'd have to mm-hmm. like seek out and go to like a specialty store for like crap food. And then like everywhere yeah. should just have vegetables, right. Or like whole foods and grains and, you know, responsibly yeah. source meats and these things that like actually should be cheaper to get, you know, but it's like, it's so inverse where like, yeah, the, the junk food is like the easiest thing uh, to get a hold of. And you have to like go out of your way to go to this like special, you know, fancy grocery store that, you know, has just like good tomatoes. You're like, why am I having to like work so hard to get something that, you know, that, that should be easy to, to access, you know? Um, well, and the, the social constructs like all over the world are really interesting. Like in Ghana, they, if you don't eat um, rice and chicken together, it's not considered food. So I remember being there and like walking past like hundreds of avocados lying on the ground and people are starving, but they're not eating the avocados because that's not food to them. So to, you know, Uh, like even just changing that, that's an amazing source of calories, (laughs) like pick up an avocado and not have to cook the rice and chicken. Um, So, I mean, that, and that's, that's just one country. I don't know what it's like everywhere, but um yeah, I think just reframing sometimes can be a helpful tool, but yeah, definitely have, lots of areas to tackle. Um, yeah, yeah, we have all these uh, these like preconceptions. That, yeah, for, like you said, culturally around food too. That's like a whole other thing. It's like how we define that, you know. And it's it's regional, you know. In the states, you get a lot of that, and you know, it may happen in Canada as well. It's like you know, these some people, you know, I grew up in the southeast. And that has a very specific kind of food ways, you know, system around like how we think about food. It was actually now that I'm older and I realized like it was, it was built around uh, like fresh vegetables, right? Like we all had a huge garden and I grew up on a farm and, you know, like you lived in your community Mm -hmm. and you had your little thing, you know, and we actually didn't 
it seemed like at the time I didn't understand really what was going on. But now looking back, I'm like, oh, that was like a really healthy, like, you know, uh, association with food and like a, a really healthy system. But, you know, you get out of there and it changes, you know, from region to region. But um, so you, you had talked about um, you mentioned live food. And I think that's something that's really interesting because I, I feel like that that that's not um, I don't want to say caught on, but it's not top of mind, you know, probably in like Western culture. So and I mm-hmm. think that led you to um, a company that you founded, Access Nutrients. So uh, tell us a little bit about like that the importance of that live food and, and then maybe what led you to access nutrients. Cause I, that the product that you created out of that is, is really fascinating and I think super cool. So I'd, I'd love for you to just kind of uh, explain that a little more. Sure. Um, yeah. So just um, eating, eating raw foods means that, that the live enzymes are still preserved. So when you cook any food, it dies. So, um, like a lot of my clients would come to me with really low energy and nutrition and I'd look at their diet and it would be, you know, like breakfast cereal and then pasta and then like a frozen dinner, (laughs) for example, like that's Mm. pretty bad, but, and no raw food in there ever anywhere. Right. And, and so then we just shift their diet a little bit to being like 50 to 80% raw food just for a couple weeks. And their energy goes up instantly. And it's, you know, when they, when you're eating a food that's been cooked and then frozen, and then you're reheating it probably in the microwave, like, and it's already traveled however many thousands of kilometers to get to you. There's just nothing left in that food. There's no life force left versus like a food you've just taken out of the ground is, is almost like still alive. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, I, I guess just understanding the importance of having um, raw food in your diet and and enzymes. And there are some foods that shouldn't be eaten raw that need to be cooked in order to release the nutrients um, or to break down some of the anti-nutrients. But um, I guess, ha- yeah, so having an understanding of what enzymes do in our body um, and that they're the catalysts for a lot of different reactions that take place in our body, you always need enzymes to initiate that reaction. Um, and... As far as the company, um, it was, I was working as a nutritionist in a, a medical clinic. Um, and I, like I said, I'm just kind of a geek with like <laughs> wanting to read nutrition books all the time. So I was reading a book about, um, it was like a, a photographic book about what everybody eats all over the world. Um, it's called what the world eats and it shows pictures of different families and what they eat in a week. Um, all over the world. So just, you get to see visually all the different foods people eat, how much packaging there is. And it's just, it just kind of speaks for itself. Um, how much they spend on food, where it comes from. And then I was also reading another book, like literally laying on the floor at the same time. And, and I remember reading something about phytate and, and I had never heard of it. Um, and it's an anti-nutrient that's on all beans and grains and nuts and seeds. And it's just the way that the the seed protects itself from being eaten before it has a chance to sprout um, in the natural world. Um, and that anti-nutrient actually pulls or, or chelates um, zinc, iron, calcium, and magnesium. It 
it pulls it out of our body so we can't absorb it. Um, and it's just like an animal running away from a predator. It's just the way that the, the plant has a natural defense system. Um, and, and kind of focusing on like, okay, so what are the diseases of like, of poverty? Um, and then if they're eating like mass amounts of grain and that's a ton of phytate, all of these essential minerals are being pulled out of their system. How is their immune system functioning? Right. Um, and so the research started there. The company didn't come for another 12 years. Um, so it took me a long time to kind of wrap my head around what I was going to do with it or um, what it meant and to just keep reading scientific journals and medical journals and like going through the Canadian trials network and trying to get a, a clinical trial going on HIV AIDS patients. Um, it, yeah, it just, and that was all well, um, well doing five peaks. So I, it wasn't like a full-time research position or anything, but it, it was just always a, a passion of mine to really figure out like, why isn't the world looking at this? If we know that anemia affects 2 billion people worldwide and zinc deficiency affects 2 billion people worldwide. And it's mainly in areas where they're on subsistence diets and they eat mass amounts of phytate. Like how is this correlation not happening? So that's, I don't know if that was just a long-winded explanation of yeah. kind of where things went, but no, that's great. Yeah. What, um, so what have you seen, um, as a result? So then I guess what's the, the, what's the product that you created to try to counteract this, this like natural occurrence? And then what have you, what, like, then what does it fix or what, you know, kind of what have you seen, uh, if we can try to, you know, write this ship via a product like, like yours. Um, so, so traditional ways of preparing a lot of those foods would have been like fermenting and soaking or cooking foods for a long time in like a fermented, like a sour porridge in Africa is quite common. So you would cook those grains and they would ferment for three days. And, and what that does is it activates an enzyme called phytase. And then that enzyme breaks down the anti-nutrients so that you have access to all of those nutrients in the food and you can actually absorb them. So it's, it is possible to eat large amounts of those foods, but you have to prepare them properly. And the way we typically eat these days is like highly processed, throw it in a pot, eat it, right? Like nobody soaks their food anymore. Right. Or if they do, they're like 1% of the population. Sure. Um, so knowing that even I probably am not going to have like five different bowls on my counter soaking and fermenting all of these foods all the time because I don't have time. Um, I, I made the enzyme phytase basically. I, I didn't make it. Sorry. I encapsulated it. It's in worldwide. It's in like, I've seen it in a couple different digestive enzymes in very tiny, tiny quantities. Um, and it's widely used in the animal um in agriculture, but it's not really used in human nutrition. Um, and so I just put it in a capsule at a, a high dose and a dose enough that it would actually deplete the amount of phytate that the standard American diet is consuming. Um, yeah. And then brought it to market, I guess. Yeah. <clears throat> so is it, do you, is it, you know, we, uh, 
So, so let me back up. Is phytase? Just so I have it straight, phytase is what counteracts phytate. Is that is that the relationship? Okay. Yeah, exactly. So, if we can get uh, phytase, is it you know is the expectation like is it do you, do you see you know increased energy? Is it you know from an athletic perspective? Is it you know is it recovery? Is it um, yeah like what's what's the expectation if we can get more of these nutrients and, and then presumably wouldn't it also be that we don't use as much energy on the digestion side of things, or is that still, is that still a piece of the puzzle? Um, like, does it help? Not, not specifically the, mm. like the energy, but yeah, you're right. So you would, if you can absorb more iron, um, then you're not dealing with anemia, right? So that's a, that's one area that we've had a lot of successes with, people who are anemic and can't get their iron or their ferritin levels up, even with um, regular infusions. Um, phytase, because if, if you're, you're just putting a bunch of stuff in, but you, all it's doing is just going at the other end and there's no point, right? Right. So by adding phytase, you can actually absorb the iron. Um, and then we see typically like two to three weeks and, and the levels start to go up and they go up quite quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's iron, but then yeah, zinc is, is like absolutely critical to the immune system. They've shown that it, um, it inhibits viral replication. So you, you're the, a lot of viruses, if you have adequate zinc levels, can't even get into the cell. Wow. Um, and, but it's really difficult to achieve zinc homeostasis for a number of reasons. And one of the biggest ones is, is that anti-nutrient phytate. Um, so keeping your immune system strong, but we've had like, um, we've had a ton of different, um, people write in with different experiences around it. We've had people that have had like no more cramps, um, during their periods or no more bloating during their periods or, um, autoimmune disorders that have seen huge improvements, a a Crohn's patient that doesn't get any flare-ups or attacks anymore. Um, Less body pain, better recovery from workouts for sure for athletes, Um, higher like average running pace, um, just without changing anything else. They can, they can just kind of run faster with less effort. Um, Jake used it during Havelina and, and had a really great race. So anytime he started to get like nauseous, we would give him enzymes and that seemed to calm his stomach down and, um, and give him lots of energy. Um, what else? Um, yeah, I, I, I know I've posted all the different stories that people have written in with fatigue for sure is one, like energy typically goes up quite quickly. Um, when people start taking, uh, phytase, um, yeah, we, we've had a whole bunch of different. Yeah. That's really interesting. Um, that's, yeah. It's so, it's so varied. I guess it makes sense. I mean, I, you know, it depends on your, your diet and your environment and your, you know, if there's preexisting conditions or your predisposition towards certain, you know, if it's iron deficiency or anemia or, you know, zinc or whatever, are there like, what's the, you know, if we were going to try to kind of maximize this, this opportunity, what does the diet look like that accompanies that? Cause I imagine there, you know, you don't take, you don't, you know, take in this enzyme and then, 
if you don't have the food on board to maximize it, it seems, you know, like it, it would stand to reason. I imagine that it wouldn't, um, you wouldn't be able to kind of leverage the power of that. So is there like best practices from a, from a diet perspective that help to leverage the, the potential that having something like this can bring? Um, yeah. So interestingly, there are health benefits to phytate um, so that they've, they've shown that it can, for example, it can inhibit cancer, but what has to happen in order for that, that phytate or the IP6 to get into a cell is that you have to be able to, it's called dephosphorylate. So I may, I may lose people here, but basically what phytase does is it dephosphorylates the phytate. So it picks off these phosphate groups um, from the molecule and and that whole interplay, like the phosphorylation and dephosphorylation is, is turning cells on and off. Um, it's turning on cellular communication. It's, um, it's an area that I'm now learning about, but it's a, it's completely critical to like disease and understanding disease and our genetics. Um, so turning on inflammation and turning off inflammation basically, or, why cells kind of go haywire in cancer and why they don't just shut down um, is all that phosphorylation and, and dephosphorylation. Um, so it is good. At, it's good and it's okay to eat grains and beans and nuts and seeds as long as you are either like soaking, fermenting, sprouting, or cooking them to the point where you depleted enough of the phytate that you can actually absorb the nutrients from it or you can add phytase. So, um, so high phytate foods are good for you with phytase, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So, so a vegan diet is great. Um, as long as you're using phytase to then be able to, to absorb those nutrients out of it. Um, so I'd say like, if you can get, um, organic, um, meat that doesn't have, uh, hormones or antibiotics in it, having that in your diet sometimes I think is really important, but not critical. Um, and, and I'd say just like, it's kind of like Michael Pollan says, like eat food, mostly plants, not too much. Right. Like it's, it's just that simple. Yeah. Um, and, and I'd say like, if you can eat half, half of your diet could be like raw foods. You could have, um, you have a smoothie for breakfast or, or if you like green juices, you could do juicing or buy juices. Um, and then like a soup or a salad for lunch and like maybe a stir fry for dinner and, and put meat in there if you want to, but it just having lots of different, um, vegetables in your diet and, and lots of fiber, it has been shown to be, I think one of the health healthiest diets, but good fats too. So, olives and avocado and healthy oils and um not those like deep fried rancid oils but but really healthy pure oils you know yeah um yeah and i just say it's like as natural and unprocessed like the less humans have messed with the food the better it is for your body and the more your body's going to know what to do with it how to use it and then how to get rid of it without it getting like stuck in your body somewhere Right. Yeah. I love, <laughs> I, I always 
like that that Michael Pollock quote always like stuck with me, you know, because I that's that just feels like how I would like to sum up, you know, or convey like nutrition to people is that, you know, just like you're saying, like if we just touch it less, like we've, we've really some like managed to, to really overcomplicate something that's very like innate, right. It's just this like eating and fueling our bodies and do it, you know, and tapping into what feels right. Like we've, we've touched it too much. Right. And so now it's become this very complex, complicated thing. And not that there's not a lot of nuance, you know, in how individuals should fuel themselves and think about nutrition, but it's, uh, yeah, I love that. You know, it's just like, you know, two steps, right? Like mostly plants, not too much, right? <laughs> or three steps, eat food, mostly plants, not too much. Um, that's great. Well, and I've always told my clients, like, if you look at a package of food, A, it's in a package. But when you look at the ingredient list, if you don't know what one of those ingredients is, your body probably doesn't either. And mm. it's not going to know what to do with it. Um, and then also if the bacteria doesn't want it, and it's been sitting in your shelf and it's that process that the bacteria doesn't even want it. Like, do you really want to put that in your body? Right. It's like, what is that providing to you? It's yeah. just dead food. Right. Yeah. If it, so. if it can't go bad, like it's probably not something we want to, we want to, you know, <laughs> we yeah. want to eat. Like if it can just, if it can just live there forever and it, it, like you said, that's a good way to think about it. If the bacteria doesn't want it, maybe our bodies don't either. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, well, thanks, Amy. That's uh, that's a uh, that's that's great advice to end on. Um, thanks so much for all your expertise. Uh, it was uh, it was great chatting with you. I appreciate it.